Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining me on my podcast. We're going to have a nice little talk today. I want to go into a Instagram question that I got and I received. And I want all of you to know that even though I'm on Facebook and some of these other platforms, I, I get hit with a lot of questions and a lot of times I, uh, I don't have time to respond to people and it, it's just, there's so much going on anymore. It's almost like they want us to be on this stuff all the time. And I've, I, I like to live my life and I want all of you to know this. No disrespect to nobody that's out there listening to me right now. But we've got to all draw the line somewhere. And whether it comes to phone conversations, talking to people on the phone, whether it comes to texting, Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram, you name it. There's just got to be a line that's drawn somewhere. And... I value my time. I'm a very busy guy. I'm always doing things. And there's a lot of stuff out there that is not worth your time and your energy. And the people that listen to me on this podcast, I want you to have a better life. I want you to avoid some of the pitfalls that I had. And the way I do that is I tell you about my pitfalls. And I, I want it to open your eyes so you can you can see more clearly. So obviously my my Instagram, this this person that wrote me, the message disappears after so long. Um, but I remember the message, so hopefully he's not gonna get totally upset with me for not responding. It, it just there's there's several different kinds of messages. You have your the people that follow you and then you have the people that just write you a question and they aren't probably following you because they come in, up in a whole different area. Uh, they're not your friends or they're not following you. So the message disappeared. I don't know where it went, but anyway, he had said that he had been calling coyotes for four years now and he wants to be the best. He's from Nevada he he's entered competitions the best finish he's ever had is fourth in the shotgun championships in nevada and uh which <laughs> in my opinion that's very very respectable okay <laughs> you, you, you whenever you have a goal of wanting to be the best i think that's wonderful whenever you place fourth in a in a big competition and i've heard about this competition i'm in nebraska and i've heard about this shotgun championship in nevada it tells you it's it's gaining some buzz so i think it's a wonderful thing but his question to me was the best he's ever finished in any competition was fourth i believe he placed fourth and one in utah as well which is another notch in the belt because Utah is a tough state to call coyotes. There's a lot of pressure in Utah, a lot of people in Utah. So 
that can be tough, and especially in a competition, to put numbers up. Now, you can go out and kill one, two coyotes, but even in a competition, four might win the competition. Maybe three wins it, maybe two wins it. Um, but his main basis for his question was that he feels like he can't get to the next level. He, he, he wants to know where he's going wrong. Okay, number one, what I see on the outside looking in is the fact that it's only four years of calling. Um, I know there's, there's the learning curve nowadays is way quicker than when I did it because there was no internet, there was no smartphones, there was no nothing. I never got to watch a video to see how somebody called a coyote. I didn't know how to do it. I started clear back in the eighties reading books, you know, and whenever I did it, I just went out and did it, and I tried, and I tried, and I tried, and finally, you start seeing where you're going wrong, and you make your own adjustments, so, with this gentleman that wrote in to me, you know, so number one, it was just the fact that he's only been calling four years, so there needs to be more learning. I, I I think it's wonderful that he's placing in competitions, but to not be winning in that time span, it, it could happen, obviously. But I think he's up against a lot more talent and guys that have been doing it longer. So there's 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 other variables, okay? So that's one thing. Just the fact that you've only been in it for a few years. Number two, one of the things he said was he, he feels like he could not get to the next level, meaning he wasn't killing enough coyotes. And what I can say there is, is that he has not, acquired the knowledge of finding coyotes okay when you're in a competition you have got to find densities of coyotes you you can't just be in country that has one here four miles down the road there's another coyote and three miles down the road there's another coyote you could actually do well in country like that for calling, but you need higher densities of calling coyotes. How do you find densities? How do you? Your eyes have got to learn to find densities of coyotes. My eyes are trained eyes for finding densities of coyotes. How do I find densities of coyotes? I see a little more game. I see a little more livestock. I see some water. I see tracks. I see scat. I actually see coyotes with my own two eyes. I see when I'm scouting, I see three or four coyotes because I know if I see three or four, I can multiply that by 10. That's what I'm not seeing and possibly even higher. If you see one coyote when you're, when you're scouting, that's a good sign. 
uh, I'm telling you, I weigh it very heavy as a positive thing, okay? <clears throat> so, this gentleman is asking me, I just don't know how to get to that next level. The next level is learning more about coyotes. You live in a state that has high, high, high densities of coyotes. I've hunted Nevada and I've found high densities of coyotes. In 1999, I was a partner with Dennis Howe and we won the world championship in Nevada. Day and a half hunt, we killed 20 coyotes. We should have had 26, um, just the way things go. But we called coyotes on day one on one stand and went back on day two and called the exact same stand, killed another coyote. Um, that is high densities of coyotes, being able to do that. There's a lot of people that won't do that. I've killed coyotes in the national in a morning killed a coyote, went back in the evening and called that same stand and killed a coyote. You are not going to find people calling the same stands like that because number one, they don't have confidence. Number two, they don't know how to find densities of coyotes. Now, what I can tell you about densities of coyotes is like in the national, when I called coyotes like that, whenever I called one in the morning and then one, went back to the same stand in the evening, I was on a travel corridor. Les, what is a travel corridor? A travel corridor is something like a river, a stream, uh, a lowland that has a willow bottom at, with a stream all the way through it. Coyotes are working those draws all day long, every day. They're natural travel corridors because people aren't going to be as easy to see them because that coyote could just be in and out of the brush or it always be in the brush and no, no person could see them. So that coyote is um, it, it not being seen. So he is safe and he feels safe. So he's hunting and he's just it's cold out so he's just constantly moving and those are the places that you're you're going to have better luck okay travel corridors are also places that can have densities of coyotes you can kill one coyote here uh, and go a half mile, kill another coyote, go a half mile, call in a double, kill them, go another half mile, call in a triple and kill them. Natural corridors, travel corridors, natural areas like this are going to hold densities of coyotes because there's a, an abundance of cover, there's abundance of things to eat, and there's probably some water. Water is very vital to a coyote. Uh, if you, that's why a lot of times in a in a competition, a lot of people go straight for river bottoms, uh, creek bottoms. I like willow sloughs, willow creeks, 
willows because rabbits love willows. The magpies love willows. I like to call knowing the birds are going to tell me what's out there. I'm always paying attention to the birds. If I see, say I, say I walk up to an edge uh, uh, of a hill, uh, a bank that overlooks a bottom, and I walk up there, and three, quarter, three quarters of a mile upwind from me, I see several crows fluttering around, and I see a couple in the trees, and I can see magpies flying around. What does that tell me instantly? It tells me there's a coyote close. A lot of times, ravens, crows, birds, they are close to coyotes because that coyote's hunting or he's killed something or another animal killed a deer, killed killed something where there's some scraps, okay? Anytime you have bird activity, it's to be paid attention to. Now, like I said... My eyes see things and pick up things and pick up on things that the average hunter will never know. I don't tell people certain things. I, When I'm driving down the road, I'm looking. I'm always looking. And my eyes are taking in the, the, the ground as I drive like a giant computer. And I'm just pulling everything in. And I do my scouting when I was in competition days. I did my scouting from my vehicle. I put on lots and lots and lots of miles. But one other thing I do, one other thing that is very vital, I want all of you to understand this and think about it. When you are looking for densities, you've got to learn to talk to people. I can ask a mail carrier. I can strike up a conversation with a mail carrier or even some rancher that's traveling out through the country. Uh, anybody that's driving a highway, I can limit my scouting to certain areas because of what I'm getting from people. They'll tell me mile markers. They'll tell me where this highway uh, goes off uh, of the main highway from there to the next junction. I've seen quite a few coyotes. You take all that in and you learn to use that information. So this gentleman that wrote me the question, how can I get to the next level? He's got to be able to learn to find higher densities of coyotes. But here's another kicker that needs to be thought about. What happens if he's in a high density of coyote, but he doesn't know how to hunt them, and he's blowing the whole country out by making a couple stands? That's another thing to be thought about. It's a very intricate piece of work we're looking at because the way I hunt and the way somebody else hunts is totally different. So I'm going to tell you a story 
the last year that I was uh, uh, that I won the the national in Rollins, Wyoming, the national coyote calling competition, I was partnered with Robin Blake out of Encampment, Wyoming. Robin is probably 10, 12, 13 years older than me. And Robin had never won the national. He's killed thousands and thousands of coyotes, trapping them, calling them. He's lived in Wyoming his whole life. He's killed just pickup loads of coyotes, but he had never won the national. I don't think he ever beat me in the national. Him and his brothers, him and his brother were usually always partners. But me and my brother were always partnered too, but they had never beat us in the competition, like placed higher than us, even though he'd lived there his whole life. That also, when it comes to competition calling, tells you that everybody looks at what they have in front of them differently. I'm a run-and-gun guy. I know how to find densities of coyotes. And when I find densities, I know how to kill them. You can get lucky on a competition and win a competition. Absolutely. But when you're competing against 75 to 100 teams, there's not a lot of room for error. So you're, you you got to be on your shooting game. you got to be on your calling game. you got to be on your analytical game on how you're going to do it. How you're going to set up. Why are you setting here instead of, and not over there? And how you're going to go after those densities of coyotes. Okay? So... I, I really hope this this young man finds my podcast because I think I can help him. Um, he lives in Nevada, so he has access to finding his density of coyotes, okay? Chances are when he hunts the, the shotgun championship, He's hunting his honey holes, okay? Everybody's got honey holes. But if I lived in Nevada, I would have honey holes upon honey holes upon honey holes, and I'd have backup honey holes that I'd never called, but they look like honey holes. That's how I roll, okay? Especially when it comes to competitions. You've got to have plans and backup plans. And when I say a backup plan, I'm not scared to drive 50 miles for a backup plan to make a couple sets. I've done it. I've been there. And I can tell you that it works. I'd rather drive to a spot that I think is a surefire spot than making two more dry stands or even one more dry stand and not call nothing. And get out of the country and try to hit some new country and make three more stands. Because in three stands, I could kill six coyotes. More or even less. But even three stands kill three coyotes. That would be phenomenal, you know. So, in the National in 2006, I was partnered with Robin Blake. And I didn't want to disrespect Robin. 
So I asked him, I said, and I already knew the answer, but I, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you so you can feel it. I had told Norm, the guy who puts it on, that I wanted to hunt with Robin. And my, Jeff, my brother Jeff had pretty much retired. He was burnt out on competitions, and they weren't as fun, and blah, 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 which is true. Um, but I told Norm that I wanted to hunt with Robin, and he thought that was so awesome. Because I'd only hunted with Robin one other time in my life, and we we walked after coyotes and called, and we killed three that day up between Encampment and Saratoga. We were, it was late winter, like February, March, and we went after coyotes that were in the mule deer herd. And uh, we killed three, which was a heck of a day for just walking, you know. And that's what I love about what I've done in my life. So many people can't even imagine that. You know, we're up at 8,500 feet right in with all the deer and the rocks and the trees. And and we're calling in coyotes and killing them. And as soon as we'd kill them, we'd skin them. And then we'd just drag their pelt on the snow. So we didn't have to drag a 25, 35-pound coyote, you know. So that was the only other time I'd hunted with Robin. And... Uh, but he's killed thousands of coyotes, so I put my trust in there, okay, that he could still perform, you know. So I asked Robin, I said, do you have a place you want to hunt coyotes for this hunt? He said, Les, you do what you do. He said, I just want to be with you. I want to help you. He said, but you pick the area. That's perfect. I like that. Because I'm, I take charge. I'm a leader. People that know me know I just get after it. I go and I do it, okay? Number two question. I asked him. I said, are you going to want to call, Robin? Because if you want to call, I, I want to know that now so we can plan accordingly. He said, you handle everything. I want you to use your sound, your calling. I just want to be the downwind guy. I said, perfect. So he was letting me take charge of everything. So, I already knew where I wanted to go hunt out in the Red Desert. I'd never hunted there, never called there, but I'd always seen coyotes. Long ways from nowhere. And understand me when I say this. Because a lot of people won't even fathom it. But I never scouted for the National. That year. I didn't scout. I didn't go out a couple days early. I didn't go look for coyotes. I just knew they were there. And I remember the country because I've been there before. And I'd been there before hunting antlers and looking for Indian artifacts. And I always kicked up coyotes when I was out there just messing around. And I take mental notes of everything. Because where one coyote beds, another coyote bed. They like the same area. Same place. And you know what else I learned? I learned where there's water holes. I found water holes. I found elk. I found lots of elk. 
and not that even all that mattered, but it was game rich. You know, there was a lot of game. So me being a farmer in 2006, I was helping my family on the farm harvest. We always harvest clear up until, you know, middle of November. So you're trying to get done with harvesting and it's always last minute. And the nationals always that second weekend in November, right when our whitetail rut's going on and rifle season and, and all that. So you're trying to get land ready to make sure, you know, it's posted so people won't trespass and all that other stuff. So when I got out there, I just made it out to Wyoming in time for the pre-meeting. And uh, we went out there the next morning. We, we probably left Rollins at 4, maybe. I don't know what time it was, 4, 4.30. We get out in the desert. Yeah, excuse me. And obviously it's still dark. And... Uh, <laughs> I remember cracking the window and, you know, you're sipping on coffee and you shut your pickup off and you crack the window and you're out in the desert, the red desert. And whenever the cold desert breeze is coming in the pickup, it instantly sends shivers down your spine because especially when your vehicle is off, and you're out in the middle of nowhere and the red desert is just so eerie i mean you can feel the presence of indians and buffalo and all of that out there i mean it is so eerie it's almost scary to a sense and it's dark and i crack the window so i can hear if i hear any coyotes howling so we parked at a spot where i wanted to make the first set and you guys will take a liking to this spot okay i'd never seen a coyote in this spot but i'd been there i'd been there the fall before because i helped a gentleman kill his first bull elk and we killed a six by six right there. And this guy had never seen a bull elk in the wild. And the first bull he shot or seen was a, a real nice, it was a 320, 325 bull elk, six by six. First one he had ever seen in the wild. First bull, and he shoots it. <laughs> what kind of luck is that right on the first morning of the hunt right when it was getting light enough to see so my story is that i was in that exact area i'd never i didn't see any coyotes there around that bull i had seen them there in the past because i've been there several times but i just knew they were there okay so when I pulled into this spot, it was where there was an old gas well, natural gas well. And we're sitting there. It's pitch, pitch black. It was just eerie because the wind wasn't blowing. It was a slight breeze out of the north, slight, like two mile an hour. 
So when it started getting orange in the east a little bit, and you could see 20, 30 feet out there in the desert, I told Robin we're going to walk straight ahead of the pickup. We're probably going to be going 150 yards. And I said, you're going to go to my right. and you're going to, There's going to be a little sand dune ridge. And you're going to go to the right. And you're going to go down that little ridge. And you'll sit downwind of me down there. So we walked together. We sneaked together out there. And I stop and I kind of pointed and I whispered and I said, now here's where you need to go downwind a little bit because I'm just going to be setting straight ahead up here. And he took off and he went down there. And I waited and I waited and I waited. I got to my spot, got set up and started getting more light out. And as it got light, straight in front of me and a little bit to my left a sand dune appeared and the sand dune went pretty high in the air above me and to the top of that sand dune was about 300 yards away and that whole sand dune was just nothing but sand and, and down lower there's sagebrush okay so I could see a huge wide open face of a sand dune and I just sat there for a bit and then I called really quick and uh, I didn't call long only probably 10-15 seconds with my hand call and I had my shotgun you know obviously and I was holding it pretty tight because that taller sagebrush you just didn't know when a coyote was just going to come ripping in and I called, just went, 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 done. And I sat there, and you know my head's on a swivel. You know you like freaking out as soon as you call first stand in the morning, and it's still dark, practically dark. You can't see very far, so your head is just like tweaking, like like you took a hit of meth or something. You're just like, oh my gosh, where's one coming from? I can't see very far. You know, but about three minutes later, and I didn't call. I only called that one time, and I do that just to open things up and just to sit there a little bit. And then, right on the back side of that sand dune, I couldn't see it, but it's right over the top. A lone male, he howls right behind that sand dune that's 300 yards from me. He's right behind it on the tip top, and he's hiding from me because I can't see him. And he howls a big, and he barked at the end. See, this is this is not just on coyote density this is on coyote vocabulary too and vocalization coyotes tell you things okay you put 50 guys in a room 
and 50 guys are going to tell you what they think they're saying. I don't believe in all the horse shit, okay? And sorry for my, my choice of words, but that's what it is. You've got guys that, that, that can't kill 20 coyotes a year telling people what these sounds are that they're making, and people believe them, okay? I don't believe it, okay? I've spent a lot of time out with coyotes. I listen to them. I watch them. I listen to what they tell me. So that coyote barked. He just had a woof right at the end of his howl. I knew what he was doing as soon as he did it. Here's what he was doing. He was calling for his bitch. And he knew we were there. Because he was probably sitting on that sand dune when we come sneaking in at, at you know, oh, dark 30. And he watched us walk all the way up there. He watched us sit down. It's pitch black. They can see. No problem. And he woofed because it was his warning. And he wanted his bitch to come join him. I knew this as soon as he did it. Now, you would have had other people sitting there start howling back, using an interrogation howl and a challenge howl. You would have had all kinds of shit. Unless we couldn't call him in. You're damn right you couldn't call him in. You didn't use your head. Damn it. <laughs> so, this coyote barked or he woofed. And I sat there. I waited. Because I knew what was going on. I knew he had us made. He was calling his bitch. But I didn't think Robin would know what was going on. Okay? So I just sat there. I didn't make another peep. I didn't call again. And I sat there. And probably three minutes after he made the first howl, he howls again. But guess who's with him this time? His bitch. She joins in after he starts his howl. He howls a couple times, and then she howls. And I'm like, good morning, Red Desert, USA. It's Les Johnson and Robin Blake, and we're going to hear some coyotes howl. I knew what was going on, guys. I knew as soon as they howled that second time, I knew the whole country would light up. Because they were just howling morning howling they were an alpha male and an alpha female and you know what we had to sit there for five to ten more minutes but the first coyote that howled was about one and a half to two miles straight to the right of me a little lone bitch a young pup of the year High pitch, squeaky thing. Two miles away, I could barely hear her. She let off. Then out in front of us, a little bit to my right, between Robin and I, over more towards Robin, we had a lone male out there about a, probably a half mile, maybe a little over half. I'm sure he might have been coming to my rabbit call, but I never called again. I just, he howled, and then behind me about two miles, one howled, then a little, no, actually it was about a mile and a half behind me, one howled, and then about two to two and a half, I could barely hear two more howling, 
And then off to the left, coyotes started howling everywhere. Literally everywhere. And I could, I, it was like I was hearing the ringing in my ears. I was hearing a coyote howl somewhere. But I, I couldn't even tell you what direction it was because it was so faint. faint. It, I couldn't even tell where it was coming from. But I marked so many coyotes that it was stupid. I bet we heard 20 to 30, no problem. But I'm talking it was one mile to four miles away. I heard coyotes howling, like I said. You could just faintly hear high pitch, but you didn't even know where it was. And you could tell it was coyotes because it was all the... They were barking and doing all their carrying on. Sunrise serenade. So... I let all those coyotes howl. First stand of the morning on the National Coyote Calling Championship in 2006. What does Les Johnson do? Les Johnson got up from his stand, snuck down to Robin, told him, said, let's get out of here. And Robin got mad at me. He said, what are we doing? We need to kill those two coyotes. I knew he'd want to do that. But that's fine. I said, no. I said, we're getting out of here. I'll tell you when we get back to the pickup. So we went and got in the pickup. I jumped in the pickup. And as I'm tearing out of there, I went back out to the main road, hung a left, and I'm doing 80 mile an hour going down this road. I look at my odometer. And I went two miles, and I pulled over, we snuck in, and I told him, I said, Robin, had we tried to screw with those two coyotes, we would have screwed up the whole country. Our national coyote calling championship would have been, we would have been those two guys saying we heard, we heard 20 to 30 coyotes howling, but we couldn't call in crap. We don't know what the deal was. Somebody else must have spooked all those guys. That's who, what we would have been saying at check-in. And there's many, many, many guys that do this. They don't understand. They don't have the knowledge. They do not want to back away from coyotes when they're howling. I do, especially when I'm right in the middle of them. I got to get out of there. Why? Because you make one stand and you blew that whole country out. And chances are, you aren't even going to call a coyote in. Because the two that howled, they knew we were there. They weren't going to come in. They were going to start warning barking sooner or later. We might have called the big male in that was out in front of Robin. We would have got one bang and that, that would have been the end of it. Yeah, we called a coyote on our first stand, then we couldn't call anymore. So more of the story, I went two miles to my right. We jump out, walk up over the hills. I set up, he goes a little bit to my right, watches down another draw, but it's a huge basin. Second series, and I mean out in this sagebrush, this white coyote's just ripping through the sagebrush, jumping over it, bounding in. I never called again, and I had a little plateau right in front of me at 20 yards, and I just pulled the shotgun up. It it ran behind that. I pulled the shotgun up. It it come ripping up there and it kind of blew with the 10 gauge. 
first coyote down and the sun wasn't up yet. So, I mentally marked every coyote that I heard how that within reason, without forgetting where they all were. And see, that day, it was so eerie that morning. And that morning was a red sky morning, sailor's warning. Meaning the wind was going to come up. And the wind blows every day in, in Wyoming, virtually. You know what I'm saying. But I felt that weird feeling that morning that it was going to be a rough day just because I could tell there was turmoil in the atmosphere and the wind picked up to about 40 mile an hour that day. So by 10 o'clock in the morning, you're about done. But that first day we killed nine coyotes right around there, just picking off the edges. I never went into that core area. I never did until the second day we did a little bit. First day we killed nine, second day by 11.55 in the morning, we had our 11th coyote in the back of the pickup. So, we killed 20, but we should have even had 26. Robin missed several. Um, I had a shotgun malfunction on a triple. I called three of them in right into my lap. I let them get right five yards from me. I pulled up, I was shooting a browning gold, and it, it. I got my first shot. I killed the first coyote. I pulled on the second one, click, and they're both running away, and they're just right there. So I jacked out around, and then, boom, they went through a little cut, and that was the last I seen them. And then I had another one coming in that Robin shot at. So I actually had four coyotes come in, but I only seen the three, and I should have had three dead with shotgun on that one set, and I only got one. Um but you can all take a situation, an opportunity, and line 20 people up and say, what would you do? Everybody would do something different. The bulk of the people are going to do the same thing, and that's charge right into the center of the coyotes. I cannot tell you how many guys have told me at the pre-meeting, at the national, we are going to tear coyotes up in the morning. We found a bunch. We made a stand and we killed one on our first set. And then we backed out of there. And I'm like, what? why the hell you got to kill one? Why? Why do you got to try to call one in just to suit your conscience? I said, coyotes in the night, they travel and they go smell right where you set up. And then they know the gig. They know your danger. They, they're smarter than that. So when you are out, when you are wanting to be better and you want to be in competitions and you want to get to that next level, and you don't even have to be in a competition. You just want to be get to the next level. You have got to learn how to find densities of coyotes. It doesn't always come from seeing it with your eyes, seeing the scat, seeing the tracks, uh, seeing one driving around. 
Sometimes it's the howling. The howling lets you know where they're at. And that can unlock a lot of things. But when they're howling, they're on alert. Because they're sitting there looking around the country. And they howl because they heard another coyote howl. They're watching. A lot of coyotes, when they're, they're, they're bedded down and they get up to howl, a lot of them are up, up on a ridge or they're on the a, a, a side of a hill. They're up where they can see. So if you're driving a pickup around and you're tromping through the, the brush, be pay attention to where you are in the location to a hill. Because a coyote could be a mile away walking, watching you walk around. A lot of people don't think of that, that you know. So... In wanting to find densities, you've got to use everything you can to become better. The way I've done it is I've spent so much time out with coyotes. I want all of you to understand something. When I lived in Wyoming, even when it was a blizzard, I went hunting coyotes. 30 below, 40 below, 50 below wind chill. And I was hunting coyotes. Why? Because there was hardly any traffic out there. And when it's cold and nasty, coyotes are moving. They have to move. They have to hunt. They have to. So when you see a coyote out there moving, all you have to do is get up in front of it and wait and then call. A lot of times you wait till you see it. it it's out there four or 500 yards. You blow on a call and that thing will run you over. You're learning the travel corridors because even when the weather's bad, they are going to use the areas that provide the best cover, the best meals. So, I hope all of you can take a nugget from what I said today. I, here's another thing I want to say, okay? And this isn't to brag on myself. I want you to be able to grasp that the proof is in the pudding. I can find densities of coyotes. And when everything is clicking, I can kill coyotes. And especially when my brother's filming. So basically, it's just me by myself. But my best personal day was 16. And I've always had a vision of killing 24 in a day by myself. I've always had that. Like, that's kind of what... And I think I could do it. Um, but from 16, I have killed so many double-digit numbers by myself that it's scary there's people that want to kill 10 in two days you know what i mean 
and not to sound harsh. And there's people that want to kill 10 in five days, you know, because I, I understand different parts of the country are a lot different. I understand that. But even in your part of the country, five is a heck of a, uh, a banner. You know what I mean? And it would be. But I'm good at finding coyotes. And the only way you get good at that, you've got to spend time out in the field. Get away from Facebook. Get away from Instagram. Grow some kahunas. Pull up your britches and just go explore. I'm, I'm a guy that rather than set in the house, I would rather be in my pickup driving and looking. That's the way I am. Like, when I lived in Wyoming, I loved going and looking for coyotes. I loved it. I, I was fascinated with it. I loved, in the middle of winter, going and calling around the antelope where I knew all the antelope were uh, 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 herded up and wintered. You know, I loved doing that. I've got stands in Wyoming that I've never not called a coyote. Not saying I've called those spots 10 times. I may have only called those places five times in my life, but every time I called them, I called a coyote. Every time. And some of those spots are just ordinary spots that people would drive by. And that's what I love about what I do is I try to find those unique places that don't look good to everybody's eyes because I know what everybody's looking for. They want to set, they want to drive this rim, they want to park the pickup, and they want to walk 50 yards right over the, top, the side of that rim, set up and call, and then drive down that rim another mile, look at their odometer, get out, walk over that rim and call again. I like to park, walk three, 400 yards to a little tiny knob out there in the middle, sneak over the top of it, call, have one run me over, shotgun him, and then bitch about carrying him all the way back to the pickup. <laughs> but that's me. But another thing I'm going to close with. And take heed to this. The only way you're going to get to being good. The only way. And being able to find densities of coyotes. Is when you do find them. You can't tell people. You can't even tell your friend. Because your spots become their spots. There's a code of ethics in hunting. I won't go to where somebody took me. I won't do it. I will never do it. I have respect for that person. I have respect for their land. What they told me and showed me, I won't go back. I like to find my own coyotes in my own country. So don't tell people what you're doing. Don't tell them what you're finding when you are out there. Okay? You want to be better? Don't tell people. Just like when I went calling in Montana this winter. I had numerous people. Where are you at? 
I didn't tell people where I was at. I gave them a roundabout, but I didn't tell people where I was at. To me, it's sacred. I've seen so much unique stuff. Now, this next year, I'll go back to some of those exact stand, stands and kill coyotes. Exact stand. I killed one, and I come back a year later and sit on the exact same stand. I will kill a coyote. I can tell you that because some of those spots are that good. But if the gentleman's listening to me from Nevada, how you up your game to the next level, you have got to find densities of coyotes. If you've got densities of coyotes, but you're not killing them, you've got to change your hunting tactic. You listen to me how I talked about 2006 in the National, how we killed 20 coyotes. You've got to back away and start hunting the coyotes from the outside to the end. Enter. You've got to start going clear out and around the edges and getting those coyotes. You've got to stay away from the core. You're hunting them totally wrong. That right there is how you get to the next level. And your shooting's got to be on par. Your calling's got to be on par. Your setup's got to be on par. There's a lot of variables to winning a competition. Everything's got to be clicking. Some people say luck. I don't believe in luck. I just, I don't. I don't believe that. I think there's got to be more of a skill set when you're doing all of this. Too many things got to be coming into play. Because if you're setting out with confidence and determination, how can it be luck? You're determined. You're confident. You're on top of your game. You're practiced. You're a smooth running machine. So, hopefully that answered some of y'all's questions. I think it was a good talk this morning. But now's the time. If any of you would like to leave, I'm going to say a prayer. I'm thankful that everybody that's joined me and you're still here. So if any of you want to join me in the prayer, I'm going to say a prayer for all of us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the wildlife that you put on this earth. And thank you for our families and our friends and everyone that we look up to. Lord, my listeners, my fans, my viewers, I cherish them. Please touch their hearts. Give them knowledge. Guide them in all that they do. If they seek it, help them find it. If their heart is true, help them to receive their wish. Help them all to be better people, including myself. Help us to change this little part of the world that we are in. There's a lot of turmoil out there, Lord. Please cast the evil far, far from us. Cast them out of this world. Show them who they truly are. Help everybody to have a safe day <clears throat> and a prosperous year, Lord. 
Help all those that are hurting right now. Relieve them of their pain. Help them to see positive things and give them a boost of encouragement. I thank you for everyone that I've had the opportunity to meet and shake hands with. I thank you for them being a light in my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, everybody. I hope all of you have a very prosperous day. Fall is upon us. I'm looking forward to it, and I hope you are too. Until my next podcast, thank you, everyone.